continue to read from Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, from verse 12. Mark 16, verse 12. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. That's the disciples. And they returned and reported to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating, and he rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Our Father, we pray that uh, that word which you spoke and which you commissioned your disciples so long ago would pulsate in our own lives and hearts this day. We come before you as a people, as a church that is so in need of your life, of your truth, of your power. And we pray that you will just uh, reinvigorate us, humble us, cause us to be aware of our emptiness and your power. Open our minds that we might not be closed into the confines of what we have known in the shortness of our lives. May you be Lord and may you have the freedom to lead us into the fullness of what that means for us. That Jesus might be lifted high and glorified and many would know him and come to know him. And in his name we pray. Amen. I probably have to say something about Uganda, otherwise you'll be disappointed, right? So, if I were to write one picture, um, it would be, imagine, well I'll show you pictures of this, on, on, imagine um, driving in a small, smallish vehicle with uh, no shock absorbers, the back rear tire is balding and the driver says we're trusting in God and I'm saying you idiot. Um, a four hour journey that takes seven and a half hours between Kampala and Umbarara. Um, two guys in the front, three of us squashed in the back. On the other side is Pat. And we, we go up this road that is just potholes everywhere. And you slam the potholes and your head hits the, road, the ceiling. And uh, you stop every now and again to get some fish or to do this or to do that. And it's a, tr- it's a trip out of hell, quite honestly. Um, and arrive at Pat's compound and it's a concrete place. And this is your room and it's concrete and there's nothing in it. And the washroom is concrete and there's nothing in it. And the toilet is a squat toilet and there's nothing in it. No, 
I basically say, shh. <laughs> and at the back of my mind is this voice that says, so what did you expect? And at the back of my mind is this voice and this picture of like swirling down from the first world into the third world, into the bottom of the third world. And Jesus saying, well, that's what I did for you. And my first world was a lot more glorious than Port Alberni. And I came down to a squat toilet and a concrete environment because I love you. And a seven-hour journey with the potholes and bumpy head, big deal. Try crucifixion. It's probably the strongest moment for me of that three weeks. And then understanding that the place that I crashed down to and said, oh my word, where am I, was a step up for the boys who lived there. And it kind of all, what do you do with it? And that's what we're going to think about in the future. Went to the northern part of Uganda, Pat very helpfully, I guess, alerted everybody to I was going into a war zone, which was not true. Um, it's just the northern part of Uganda, northwest, where there has been war in 30 miles north in Arua on the Sudan border. <clears throat> just across the Nile, a very beautiful place. Probably the most intimidating moment was walking into this town hall, again concrete floor, with 200 ivory, ebony black faces singing their hearts out. Um, I'm thinking, what on earth am I going to say to these people? Um, they were rural pastors, some were from the Congo and some were from the region. Most of them had very little in terms of resources. And we, we sponsored half that con conference. And the only thing I could think of was, you know, I knew that two-thirds of them didn't read or write. And so, checking this out, I asked them the question, um, if you can't read or write, and how many people in your villages can read or write, and most people couldn't, how are they going to know about Jesus? And if I go into your village, and I ask the people who know you, because you are the pastor, and they're all denominations, all kinds of denominations, and I say, what do you see in that person? Do you see Jesus? Because that's all there is. There is the testimony from Bishop Fester Kvenjero, who was uh, one of the Anglican bishops in Uganda and probably pioneered a lot of the uh, revival or the uh, missionary work that took place in East Africa in the 60s and 70s with a group called Africa Enterprise that has grown out of South Africa and spread throughout Africa in the last 30 years under a man by the name of Michael Cassidy. And Fester Cavranger, and I know I've shared this with you before, made a comment and he just said, salty Christians make other, Christians th other people thirsty. And to me the challenge is in, in, in our culture that is so reliant on everything other than the testimony of our lives. Why aren't we making more of an impact? Because there is more of an impact in Africa to the gospel. 
that's positive and negative and, and I'm trying to be positive today but I, there's a, as far as my, I'm concerned the West is, is sort of recolonializing the, the, the Africa in the spirit now um, and that's another little drama that I'll save for later because um, it's really easy to go to Africa and look good but uh, how do we make other people thirsty and what I want to think about this morning and talk about this morning is what is the vision of Jesus for his church what is the vision for the church that he has worldwide that would attract and draw people to him primarily and also very conscious of the Lord's trying to remind his church that he doesn't care about the denominations but they are important because you have to belong somewhere I was talking to a friend in England this week about the, 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 my generation um, living in, in a kind of distance in the world uh, picking, you know, downloading podcasts from the best people that they think are the best in the world and, and learning through their heads what is happening in the world but not actually incarnating anything having a Christian experience that isn't rooted in community but is rooted in teaching and in podcasts and in worship music but it's all abstracted through your headphones so there's no life maturity there's no character that's forming in the people because it's quite easy to be a critic without a challenge <clears throat> so that's the background Peter said in his gospel in 1 Peter one verse, uh, 2 verse 12 uh, I'll just quote it He's, he, just, he said in his gospel in his, in his re- writing live amongst the pagans in such a way that they will know by what you do that there is a God so what is Jesus desire for his church for this church which is not the same question as what would I prefer what do I like what am I comfortable with? So I begin that question with an understanding that I am incomplete, that I am a jar of clay, that I see through a glass darkly. God's ways are not my ways. In other words, there's a lot mentioned that says I am not God. And I don't necessarily see clearly. And I need, to, I need continually to be held in his hands and molded and shaped by him. I think I'm still suffering from this culture shock that happened when I went to England. Because when I went to England, my friends were all watching the God Channel. And they're watching Todd Bentley and the new revival that's taking place in Florida. And it's been going for five weeks and God is here and get on a plane and come over because the anointing is here. And people are getting healed and the anointing is here and people are getting healed. Bam! Bam! That's what you see. And you go... What is this? For God's name, what is this? Oh, it's the latest movement of God. People are getting healed. Their testimonies and miracles. Oh. And the angelic appearances come to me and they speak to me and they tell me what to say and then I pass it on and the, tune into God channel every, every day. It's been going for five weeks. It's going through England like fire. 
It'll be here. Some of you probably heard it. If you haven't, you're not in tune. (laughs) The thing that scares me the most is not, please God, we need miracles, we need your power. It's the discernment of what is good and what is not good. One of the prophetic utterances at the moment are that just as we have counterfeit uh, counterfeit, uh, money that is getting increasingly difficult to tell from the original, there's a huge outpouring, and there will be, of spiritual counterfeit that is going to be very, very difficult to discern. And so you need to know your scriptures. You need to be rooted in community because otherwise you'll be spending all your money flying around looking for another blessing. The problem is, and what scares me, is that people with very little character background and depth are becoming the spokespeople. And you can't tell the fruit from TV. So what kind of church is God wanting to build? Because it looks so American. It's instant gratification. There's no cross. It's just come and be healed, come and be healed, come and be healed. And the problem is that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And he has quite a few angels that will speak. And in the courts of Pharaoh, those who served Pharaoh mimicked all the miracles that Moses did. It's easy to be healed in the satanic kingdom. Now this is not my little hyperventilating after jet lag. It's really going, because I, you know, to, to, to be fair, I also don't want to be a church that just rants and raves about what isn't. And we show very little ourselves that's positive or, or full of power, so you, know, you go, what are you offering? So I'm not saying that. I am saying that we need to be discerning and we need to be hungry for more. But we need to be wary. So the hallmarks of the church, I believe, as Jesus uh, called it to be, I think are easy to see and easy to find. You just look at the ends of the Gospels, at the commissions. Very often you'll find one particular group has their, their, their preferred commission. So the usual one is just go out and preach and make disciples of everybody and that's usually distilled down to teach them the Bible. And that's absolutely important. But it's not the full commission. So I just thought we'd skim quickly through the the last sections of each of the Gospels, and I mean quickly, and just take out um, maybe the essence of what Jesus is saying to try and prove a point. And my point that I'm trying to, to demonstrate is that everything needs to be balanced by the rest. Matthew 28:16. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. It reminds me of something, the mountain reference. And I just wanted to say, one of the issues that's happening in the, script, in, 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 the, in the church in North America right now is seeking the glory of God. There's a lot of talk about seeking the glory of God, seeking His presence, seeking His glory. The trouble again is when I read the New Testament, I don't see that as being the emphasis. In fact, when they went up to the top of the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter said, glory, 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 let's stay here and just hang out with Moses and Elijah. Jesus said, no. And there's no need to build a shack either. They don't need it. And they had to go down the mountain and they wrestled with the person with epilepsy. There's very, very little in the New Testament, it seems to me, that says, seek his glory. 
So most of the people go back to the Old Testament, to Moses and the, to the tent of the presence and Joshua, and then they extrapolate from that. And you go, well, that's cool, but that's what not, that, Jesus wasn't there. Jesus has come to fulfill. So I'm merely exhorting us, all the Old Testament we read has to come through the New Testament, has to come through the cross, has to come through Jesus on the cross and his risen presence. Now, back to Matthew. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in name. No, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, the very end of the age. Isn't that powerful? All authority in heaven and on earth is given by me to you, not unconditionally. The authority to be disciples, the authority to speak and teach about Jesus and who he is. The authority to back up teaching with power. I always use the example and I always think of Brock and even though he came in late, I'll, I, he likes to be mentioned. Um, uh, the, you know, the RCMP. Imagine if you, you, you're, you're dressed up in an RCMP uniform and you have no confidence in the authority. How pathetic would that look? Uh, 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 please stop that, if you don't mind. You know, it would look ridiculous. So, with the authority vested in me, I tell you, stop or there will be consequences. What is our awareness of our authority in Jesus? Do you know your authority? It's about time. You should know it by now. Most of us here should know it. And if our lives are not growing and they're not moving, it's probably because we don't have a very strong sense of our authority in Jesus. But authority without teaching just becomes posturing and bullying. That's why you need all these balances. It's not just about authority. It's teaching without authority becomes dogma. If you have teaching without context, you just have more theory, don't you? And so you need the teaching and authority. Teaching without authority just becomes intellectualism. Because you talk about stuff, but you never actually apply it. Why? Because that needs authority. And I'm scared that I don't have that authority and I'm not perfect, so therefore I'm terrified to take a step of faith. So many of us wander around with very little application in terms of authority. I'll tell you why this is important, because one of the challenges of this morning is unless this church starts moving out and you start talking to your friends, we'll close down. Because the key to growth is our personal relationships with those people who we know. And nobody else is going to do that. And it's time we did it. You're going to really miss me, I know that. But, uh, you know, this is the welcome home speech. It's not out of anger, it's actually a challenge. So Jesus said to his church, I give you authority and power to go and teach and to go and train and to go and draw people to myself and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptize them into a community where they can continue to grow and teach them to obey everything I have commanded. That's why all our teaching and all our emphasis needs to be on Jesus. What he did, who he is, and what he promises, and the power of his Spirit. And I am with you always to the very end of the age, which is really just saying, I'll come along with you. 
So I'll be with you. So I'll help you. And if you don't have any doctrine of the Holy Spirit, you're hooped. Because you'll just have to learn, live, live on memory verses because there won't be any presence. And we need the presence to have the power, to have the authority to make an impact. That's the end of Matthew in a nutshell. Probably more of a nut than a shell, but never mind. Mark. Chapter 16, there's a sense of urgency. Go into all the world, preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. I don't like that verse. Do you? Condemned. What happens if we really thought about that and said, you know, members of my family who don't know Jesus are condemned. Oops. I don't know how to teach this one. I know how to do it easily and, and sort of with objectionable stuff. But because I don't know what God does with everybody in the world who doesn't know Him and I, I know He's far more loving than we are. So all I can say in the end is I believe with a passion that God's desire is that every living being, the sooner they get to know Him, the better because it'll, it'll complete their humanity. Issues of judgment, those are His, not mine. But a sense of urgency, a sense of passion about drawing people to Him. But you know what? We're not going to draw anybody to Him unless we're not drawn to Him. It'll be a hard work. I'll come back to that in a minute. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And then he goes, And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. I wonder which part of this I can't understand. It seems to me there's a very clear mandate, and if you're going into Africa... It's going to be the power of God present that is stronger than the power of the witch doctor that is going to bear testimony to Jesus. Then there needs to be teaching, of course. This is the authority of Jesus. This is how he operates. Look, he will heal you and now we do teaching. Or, let's talk about Jesus. Let's do some teaching. Are you sick? Let's pray for you. You need both. And I'll tell you why you need both. Because that's what keeps you humble. Some of us are good on the experience and we're a bit slack on the teaching because it takes a bit of effort and we've got to keep quiet and we've got to use our heads. Others of us really like using our heads and doing the teaching stuff but we're really quite insecure about the manifestation so we don't go there. That's why we all need to practice it. Because it keeps us all humble. We all will have our area of insecurity when it comes to fulfilling the commission of Jesus. And what's happening in the church is we tend to pick the part that suits us and we deny the rest or theologically explain it away. But that's boring. It's much more exciting to wrestle with the whole package. Scripture interprets Scripture. So it seems to me Mark's Gospel speaks about doing the preaching and teaching and also having the signs and wonders as well. Without that balance, you have signs and wonders, which is what I just described, that can get hysterical and get footloose and fancy free and get really quite dangerous. And you say, how do you discern the difference between signs and wonders that are of God's kingdom and signs that are wonders that are, are the, uh, you know, the, the um, sorcerers in Pharaoh's courtyard? It's all going to be about where Jesus is and where the cross is. And the fruit is going to be love. Because Satan cannot, cannot, cannot mimic love so there's respect and gentleness and kindness and the fruits of the spirit as well 
Let's go to Luke's Gospel quickly. Luke's Gospel, you know, this is, a, this is hugely important, the repentance and forgiveness of sins, the centrality of the cross. Luke 24. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. The Christ will suffer. There will be suffering. There is repentance and forgiveness of sins. God so loved the world that he sent his Son. I have to come to that place where I say, Jesus, thank you for what you've done on the cross for me. Now it might be that God has done a healing work in my life. I still have to come before the cross. He's just loved me before, you know, that's just grace. But we still have to have the cross as central. That's the only place we meet with the living God. The masquerading angels of light, which are from Satan, will not talk about the cross. They will try and get you into a kingdom without the cross and you will find that you're in the wrong kingdom. You're in a kingdom of gratification and in a kingdom of hype, but you won't be in a kingdom where there is servanthood, humility and the blood of Jesus. And Jesus says, speak about repentance and the forgiveness of sins to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And we've talked about this before. Beginning at Jerusalem means beginning with myself. Beginning with my community. I met a missionary and I'll talk about him some other time. A young one who was wandering around Africa as a fifth generation and I wanted to send him back to Edmonton where he'd come from and said, why don't you apply what you're doing there, get some life experience, then come back and start giving talks to these poor blacks who've had more life experience than you will ever have. And quite frankly, you're nauseating. There was a reason for my saying that. Uh, I didn't say it, but I thought it, because there's so much of that. There's so much of talking without living in our culture here and there. And he, I mean, he at least was honest enough to admit he was, he was working in a church in Mexico because it was easier. This is the most difficult place in the world to work. And we need all of this gospel. Beginning at Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. What does that mean? The church will not grow. What do you bear witness to? What do you and I bear witness to right now? You see, it's easy, it's easy for me to stand up here and talk about Uganda because I've been there now and I can just tell you what comes out, right? It's easy to talk about Jesus if I have been meeting with Jesus and I have a relationship with him. I don't have to go on 1,500 different courses and have five years of Bible study to build up enough courage to talk to somebody about Jesus. How much lunacy is that? If Jesus is alive in us, it will come out in some way consistent, yes, with our personality, but God's sake, it's got to come out. So you will be witnesses. You will bear testimony too. I would just exhort you, ask the Lord for a testimony, a new one. Within the last three months, not when I was 14, Jesus touched me and I've lived on that testimony 
The new one, what's he doing now? There's nothing critical in what I'm saying to you. You understand that, don't you? I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to all of us, stirring us up a bit and saying we have to. Otherwise, let's do play golf. So, Jesus promised. He said, you are my witnesses. But you know what? The good news is, he says, you know, you can have a testimony. You can know all about my life. You can have walked with me for three years. And I can open the scriptures to you like on the road to Emmaus and your heart can burn inside you. But wait in Jerusalem till you're clothed with power. You can't do it without my spirit. And you'll know when you have my spirit. Because that will transcend and take you into something that you could never have done yourself. Learning to live supernaturally in a very natural way, as Sandy Miller reminded us. Aren't you thirsty for that? That's the promise. I've said this before, the thing that so upsets me, being a pastor of a church like this, is I wish I had emails and letters, uh, demands every single day saying, can I get together with you because I'm wrestling with this. You know how seldom I ever get that? I'm really wrestling with this and we want, I want to work through this. I, want to, I don't understand this. I hardly ever get it. Which just means that there's very little hunger at a meaningful level. So I'm praying for change. And, I will be, and you'll be close with power from on high. Powerful stuff. And the end of John, because we don't have time to spend more on this, the end of John is that wonderful passage where Jesus... It's my fav- one of my favorite passages where Jesus meets with the broken, wet and dripping Peter. Probably dived in Galilee so Jesus wouldn't see his tears. Peter doing everything he could do in his own strength and coming up with nothing and then Jesus starts all over again. says, try putting a, your net in here and he jumps in the, bo- in, the, in the water, comes dripping before Jesus, totally broken this time. Much better place to be able to be sent out from. And what does Jesus say to him? He doesn't say, go and share signs and wonders, go and do this and go and do that. He just says, "Um, take care of my sheep. Take care of my lambs. This part of the commission is, love one another. Love one another. Love one another. And he says, feed my sheep, but there will come a time, Peter, when you're going to be led where you don't want to go. In other words, he was saying to them, there's going to be suffering for you my friend. And Peter came to that place where he allowed himself to be crucified upside down many years later. But that's the whole commission. The whole commission of God to his church is that it would have authority, the authority of Jesus as in heaven and on earth, teaching the scriptures, all that was commanded, but having the power of God behind it. But there would be an urgency for the last because Jesus loves the last like we love our children. That there will be signs of the presence of Jesus in signs and wonders. That means signs and wonders. That means miracles. That means people being changed. That means unless the God did it, it wouldn't have happened. That means laying hands on people and asking God for that stuff. That means the supernatural supernaturally.
I believe. It's about the cross of Jesus. The place of grace, the place of forgiveness, the place of mercy. It's about the witnesses to Jesus sharing with others about what Jesus has done and what he, what he is doing and worship in the midst of that. It's about the power of Jesus being made present in me and the power of Jesus working through me in the lives of others. And it's about kindness and compassion and concern for one another that says in the baptized community and beyond the baptized community, see how they love one another. And God so loved us that he came down and went on a bumpy road all the way to hell so that his father would raise him up and he'd say, there, I told you, trust me. Now you go and do it. I think that's the kind of church Jesus is calling us to. It's not abstract and it starts with each one of us. It starts with each one of us starting to lay down some of our petty ideas, our petty peeves. Some of us are still holding on to stuff that's getting in the way. And Jesus just loves us and says, why don't you drop it? Why don't you just actually put it at the cross because it's way too heavy? Why don't you put your agenda down and start saying, yes, Lord, to me? And then maybe we'll see something. Lord, I want Jericho Road to grow. Use me. Father, we bless you. We bless you for your faithfulness. We bless you for your love. We bless you for the challenge of your word and the promise of your word. We thank you that you love us too much to merely leave us lounging in what we already have because there's so much more to discover. Well, we've covered a lot of ground this morning very quickly. But this one thing that maybe each of us can take away as something from the Lord for us is not spoken in condemnation, but it might be a challenge, an exhortation, a reminder. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will quicken that word so that our lives would be transformed as we seek to respond to it. We pray, Father, as we come and share in the breaking of bread, as we pray together and as we come as people who have nothing to offer outside of you, that you will fill us afresh with your spirit, with you will cleanse us with your blood and that you will create in us hearts that burn with a new excitement for you. We come before your cross and we ask you to forgive us for our pride. Forgive us where we have opted out and decided we're not, we've done our bit. Forgive us where we maybe think that giving money is following you. We pray that wherever we need to hear your voice this morning, you will just continue to breathe into us uh, your truth. That we would have a discernment to know what is of you and what is not of you. That we would not be a people or a church who is against everything, but we will be a people and a church who is for you and is humble and seeking after you, and is willing to make mistakes, but to love each other as we do that. And we pray that you will just balance us out in your agenda of what balance means, not ours, 
Because when we want to be balanced, it's usually very safe and very, very small. But as we look at that gospel, the spread of your gospel, we pray that you would give us a balance that Jesus reflected as he commissioned his disciples. That the full breadth of that will be present in our lives and in our midst. That we would rejoice in the various gifts that are released. We would rejoice in the prospect of what is still to come. And as with Paul, we will rejoice in our weakness. But we will find strength in one another so that we will not be weak. So Father, bless you and praise you that you are able to do so much more than we can ask or imagine. Will you reinvigorate within us a vision of your church that is totally beyond what we could know how to do in our own strength? May our vision and our dream for your church be too big for us to handle. But we pray for the release of that and then the faith to walk into what we don't yet see. That others would know, Jesus, that you, you love with a generosity that is, is unfamiliar to us. And that you touch lives in a power in a way that is unfamiliar to us. And that you provide meaning and fullness to life that is unfamiliar to us. But will you release among us testimonies that speak of what Jesus has done? And testimonies that have substance because the fruit is evident. In all these things, Jesus, we pray and praise you. Amen.